Hey, Bob. Thanks for joining me around the campfire the day after Christmas. Absolutely, man. That's that's warm. I like yeah, that. You know, it's, it's like chilly out here in Rochester. Uh, we we went out. Uh, we got a cat for Christmas for my daughter. So we went out to buy some cat stuff today, and that wind hit, and it was just, whew, it was cold. Yeah, I feel like I feel like every city complains about their weather, but in Rochester, it's just it's up and down so drastically. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, what it was seventy last Friday, or like a couple days before that, it was like insanely warm, and then snow yeah <laughs> and it's not even it's not even snow i mean like we we have probably a couple inches but it is bitter cold like oh, just so cold so so cold i mean that on top of the fact that we're all pretty much semi still locked in our houses due to covid <laughs> has just been amazing it's been it was the weirdest christmas in a while i would say yeah that's that's for sure so, but now we're around the campfire and uh, we are going to talk about director's cuts of movies. Um, my main thing in this topic is uh, director's cuts I want to see that either don't exist or have never been released. Um, so I know one of the first times I really got introduced to director's cuts is when I was working at GameStop in Greece, it was over by the Best Buy there. And I went over to Best Buy and I had just gotten a Blu-ray player and Blade Runner was for sale. And I was like, oh, I've never seen Blade Runner and it was for sale for 15 bucks and it came with five Blu-rays. Uh, <laughs> the theatrical cut, the European cut, director's cut number one, I think director's cut number two and some other cut of the movie. And before this, you know, I've never been like really like, oh, director's cuts. But then since then, it's kind of become a thing. And I know there's another movie, um, Kingdom of Heaven, that flopped at the box office and has kind of become a cult classic only in the director's cut version, though. So this has really started to become a thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember I remember being a kid and hearing about director's cuts and just thinking, why why would i want to watch the same movie like what that doesn't make any sense why would you release a cut of the movie that's just the same exact movie and as you get older you realize that with all the the politics that is you know movie making nowadays that a lot of times the directors who who typically are the vision for the film i mean yes you have the writer you have the script um you know a lot of those might be based on books that might also influence it but at the end of the day the director is the one getting the shot for shot that you see on the big screen and that if the studio disagrees with the vision whether it be like i'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about today you know halfway through the project or at the end of the project or whatever you might wind up getting a completely different version of the movie that isn't what the director had planned. And, and that, that amalgamation that you see doesn't always correlate with the, the visionary scenes. And uh, in a lot of cases, the director's cut can be really a completely different movie. Yes. Yeah, so one of the first ones that I think of modern day with the director's cut is um, Josh Trink's fantastic four. Um, a, a complete flop of the movie, Fantastic Four. Uh, I've I've tried to watch it. It's <laughs> it's not easy to suffer through. So I don't think I've actually seen it. But I remember uh, when this movie was coming out, the marketing campaign around it, and Josh Trank actually went on Kevin Smith's Smodcast and was supposed to do a four episode. Uh, smodcast with him so he did episode one through three and he three was the day before release and four was supposed to be the day after release he never came on for episode four because the night of release he went off on fox for the edits to the movie like he finally saw the final cut and was like this is not my movie and yeah. i mean there's a lot else around that movie apparently he was very hard to work with from what I understand. Um, and 
he was supposed to get a Star Wars movie, but after Fantastic Four flopped, he was pulled from Star Wars as well. Yeah, which is crazy. So this, you're 100% right. This is probably the, one of the biggest um, modern version of, of the director and the studio not getting along when it comes to the, the final edits of the movie. And again, like we'll see in a lot of these, I, I don't really blame the director. I mean, if you're putting together a film, you know, film shoots can take anywhere from, you know, three months on a quick one to to upwards of eight months to a year on a longer one. That's a lot of your life to be giving towards a project. Plus you have pre-production and post-production and editing, which oftentimes the director is heavily involved in. Um, so it, it could take a lot, a lot, big part of your life. And, and the entire time you're envisioning this creation, this, this baby that you're putting together for the world to see and for the studio to come in especially in a lot of cases, you know, the studios are, are run by executives who only care about the profit, whereas the director is trying to put together a vision. This, there could be some increased tension, especially when the studio is taking the project away from you. So um, this is, this is probably one of the best examples you have of that. Uh, he, he badmouthed the movie quite a bit. I mean, prior to this, the only real movie he had done was Chronicle. Um, that was in 2012. It was a really good movie in the sense that it was a modern type concept. This is right around the start of your superhero movies coming out. And you got essentially these, these high school friends who gain superpowers. And it's kind of a uh, handheld cam shot type movie. I feel like giving him Fantastic Four after that made sense. You know, it's, it's a little more polished, uh, still kind of superhero-y. Let's see what you can do with it. Um, Fantastic Four notoriously bombed the, the first time around as well. So we're going to redo it. We're going to bring this guy on. Uh, he's heavily noted for being not very easy to work with. He, he gets quite a few arguments with the studio. The studio eventually you know, does tons of reshoots and kind of creates their own movie, which by all accounts is horrible. And, uh, and he badmouths it and, and wants to basically remove his name from the project. So this is one of those situations where I don't know if his version would be better. Uh, I, it's hard to imagine at this point a good Fantastic Four movie. But, it, I mean, why not? Why not take a look at what he intended and see if, you know, his intention and his outcome could make sense of what they shot? Yeah, you know, Fantastic Four is one of those things where it's been tried four times now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the infamous Roger Corman <laughs> one, yeah. uh, which is just horrendously bad to the point that it's kind of a cult classic. Um, then there was the first Fox one, which at the age I was when it came out, I enjoyed the first Fox one. Um, there was Rise of the Silver Surfer, which I actually never saw. And then there was Fantastic Four, which the studio completely messed up uh and now there's potentially a director's cut out there that disney will never ever ever release <laughs> um especially now that disney has their fantastic four announced directed by uh the guy who did spider-man far from home right so we're gonna get a new fantastic four hopefully the fifth time's the charm <laughs> and they'll get it right this time um but we'll see yeah, I mean, I'm with you though. I wouldn't mind seeing this just for the sake of, of taking a look. You know, it's like once once you've seen the car wreck, you might as well just you know see what the other version was. Yeah, you know, that that was the first one I had, and so I, you know, I went out and I did some research into it, and uh, the Breakfast Club. This was one I didn't know about. It's not that the studio vastly edited the movie but there was another hour worth of content that they cut out. And, you know, at a home watching, I would watch a, what, two and a half, three hour long version of The Breakfast Club. I would love to see what that hour of content that was cut was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a great movie. Um, one of my childhood favorites, uh, one of my preteen favorites. And uh, I think this also shines a great light on the alternate version of director's cuts. So in the situation where you have directors and studios that don't necessarily have a falling out that, that causes these two separate versions, and a lot of times you'll have a director's cut that is just way too long. So the studio doesn't necessarily change it. They just say, listen, you got to cut out a lot of this. And by doing so, that may have an impact on the plot or on some of the maybe side, you know, subplot 
points, character development type stuff, but ultimately the the end all be all movie that you get is relatively the same. And I, I feel like this is this is definitely one of them. An extra hour on roughly a two hour movie. I mean, that's that's a good amount of content that you're missing. Yeah, and I don't know what else could have happened. Like that that was a pretty well done movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's a cult classic. That that came out in what, eighty seven, ninety, something like that, somewhere around there. I don't know. I just power read Ready Player Two, and there's a whole world dedicated to the Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and all that stuff in it. And I was like, "Oh, there's a lot that goes on in here." <laughs> that's that's great. So I got a couple others to cover, but do you have any director's cuts that you would have loved to see? So I had Fantastic Four on my list, um, but to go hand in hand with your Breakfast Club uh, one, I I I want to see a Martin Scorsese's Gang of New York now. Martin Scorsese is very famous for not doing director's cuts. He he believes that his his cut is the final cut you see. Um, so I don't think this is something that would ever happen or ever exist. But by a lot of the accounts that I read, um, when you know, similar to Breakfast Club, when he turned in his final cut to the studio, there was an additional hour plus of content. Now that movie's already notoriously three hours long. It's a very long movie. Um, but being as it's Martin Scorsese, being as uh, Gangs of New York is one of my favorite movies. I think it's I think it's a really well done movie. To see another you know hour on top of that um, would have been interesting to see some character development there. And uh, I, I also am a huge fan of um, I want to say Billy Bob Thornton. That's not his, the, the main guy who I'm drawing a blank now. Um, really good, huge fan of his as an actor. So I would have loved to have seen um, what additional footage was on that for him. You know, that reminds me, or it makes me think of uh, the first time I've seen that movie. I've actually only ever seen it once. It's something I should go back and rewatch. But the first time I saw it, I think it was still on VHS at the point. And I had to change the VHS. It was like Titanic. It didn't fit on <laughs> one VHS tape. Yeah, uh, There was some scene where like midway through, I had to change out the VHS tape on it. Yeah, I'm thinking of Daniel Day-Lewis, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. It's very serious. And again, just having an actor like Martin Scorsese, who's so versatile and so well-known in his craft, and to see him you know, have additional content to already a great movie, I'm just, just curiosity has me kind of looking into that and saying, I would have liked to have seen the extended cut. And people would watch that because uh, I got a buddy who once a year watches the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he's got the extended cuts on each of those. And I think they run about four and a half hours a piece on the extended Man. cuts of Lord of the Rings. That's crazy. Like, I mean, but you can't ask someone to sit in a studio or in a theater for four and a half hours. But at home, you watch it in pieces. Absolutely. I mean, I think that brings a transition point to probably the most famous director's cut coming out Zack Snyder's Justice League for I don't sure know if we can call this a director's cut technically so I've had so many debates with friends about this and this this Frankenstonian you know amalgamation is has taken on a life of its own. First off, I have never seen such a fan demand for a different version of a movie. I'm a huge DC fan. I'm a huge Batman fan. I liked the original version of Justice League. I, it definitely had its issues. I'm not going to say it didn't. Um, but, I mean, it was enjoyable. It was the first time you see all these characters on the screen. And it, did, it wasn't as climactic as the Avengers. But I think it's it's it, it was a good movie. And I think now that there's such demand for the Snyder cut and you have HBO putting so much money and, and push behind it, we're no longer going to get his original intention. What we're going to get is this amplified kind of newer version. First of all, it's had reshoots this year, apparently. <laughs> so this is no longer the director's cut because he's having reshoots on a movie that's three or four years old now. Uh, they're releasing it as four hour and a half long movies, I think. Like, right. it's not a movie. I mean, it's going to be long. It's going to be like four and a half, five hours when it's done. But like, 
I don't know if you can call this movie a director's cut at all. No, at and this I, point. I, I think I think they're going to, or they're gonna at least say it's the Snyder cut and maybe leave out the the correlation between a director's cut of, of the, the same movie. I mean, either way, I'm gonna watch it. Either way, I'm sure it's gonna be interesting. Um, and I hope it does kind of throw a spark back on the, the DCU. Um, because I, I'm interested in that. I mean, I think I think the issue with DC and Warner Brothers is that they're trying so hard to stay on par with Marvel and you just, you've got to do your own thing. Stop, stop trying to, you know, tread water the same speed they are and just, just satisfy your fans. And I think you'll get there. Yeah. And speaking of those superhero movies and Marvels and while we're on Joss Whedon, uh, you know, I'm not one for really wanting the Marvel movies to have director's cuts. Like I know they did that re-release of um the last avengers that had an extra 15 minutes of content on it or something but if there were one marvel movie to ever get a director's cut i would want age of ultron to get it because i thought that was a bad marvel movie and i thought it was bad because the plot seemed too rushed I wanted an extra hour in there to just make it seem like it wasn't like, oh, boom, Ultron, boom, he's lifting a planet or a city. And I'm like, <laughs> what? How, how, wait, how, how did this happen? This needed more movie. This either needed more movie or it needed like a season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dedicated to giving us some plot. And like when the movie came out, Ultron should have already been established through the TV show. And then we start there. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is definitely on people's lists as being one of the worst Marvel movies. Um, with that being said, I mean that's that's like saying that the, the kid who got the seventy five on the test scored the, the worst in the class. It's still still a pretty good movie. It's just not up to snuff with the rest of them. I liked Ultron as the character. I think he's one of the better characters in the MCU. But I agree with you. I think the the movie that he was put into. It, it seemed like they were hoping just the character and the dialogue would kind of hide the, the holy plot, the plot that was kind of missing, kind of connecting strings. And uh, I, I don't think fans overlooked it as much as they thought they were going to. Yeah, that, that would be one I would love to see an extra, uh, probably hour at least. On too. <laughs> like, and you know what? It, with Disney, it bothers me because I know that that content is on the cutting room floor mm -hmm. like especially and i'm going to talk about star wars in a little bit um but especially with star wars because we get the scenes that they cut that might have been recorded in the dvd extras if you ever read the novelizations you get more of an idea of what the original script was like and some of the stuff they cut from it so you know they have the content it's just it's not something disney does Right. And I would love to see them adopt it, but I think it gets hard with canon to say, well, here's the director's cut, but these extra 15 minutes aren't canon because right. they're not in the series. Yeah, the House of Mouse is notorious for that. I think and, and it's it's to a flaw in my opinion, both with the Marvel movies with Star Wars and with any you know anything else that they put out, they can't admit when they're wrong. They can't admit like, yeah, this thing that we did in this movie probably wasn't the best option and we should either kind of, you know, redo it or or whatever. Um, I mean, the Marvel movies, not so much, but the Star Wars movies for sure. They they when they took over Star Wars and Lucas films and they did the whole canon legends thing, um, they erased a lot of the issues that existed previously. You know, you have thousands of documents for the star wars universe and obviously they all weren't cohesive and uh there was a lot of you know this book says this but this book contradicts that um but even now even in the, in the nine movies or i guess what we're up to like 12 or 13 movies now um that they have in the star wars universe some of them is just like you, you kind of didn't do the fans justice with what they were hoping for and what existed i think that the positive of that though is there is so much content in legends that they can pull from that a lot for, for the future. And, and we're seeing that in the um, Mandalorian and stuff. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Thrawn's made it to canon now. Um, I actually didn't find out about Thrawn till new Disney canon, and uh, a group of Star Wars friends has now convinced me next year to go back and read Heir to the Empire and the original Thrawn trilogy that's now Legends content. Um, but yeah, Disney... W- so first of all, with Disney, I think they've proven that the Mandalorian, that is the way you tell a story. Because it's like an eight-hour movie you get in a season. And you can get a more complete story out of that. But when it comes to Star Wars, there's three things. First of all, let, let, let's just talk about Lucas. He was notorious for recutting those movies after they got released. <laughs> and now there's people that say release the original cut and there's people <laughs> claiming no release the theatrical cut on disney because he went through and added cg and uh changed sounds and i mean infamously changed anakin skywalker at the end of return of the jedi so that man loved recutting his movies yeah i mean and it's it's i don't understand why more star wars fans don't hate george lucas because he was the biggest issue with those movies. I mean, with the recuts, with adding bad CGI and and doing it not to enhance the movie. I mean, you you have these cut scenes where you're adding these CGI creatures just to say, here's a new version, go buy it because he knows people will. And then let's not even get to the the episodes one, two, and three. This this idea that fans are now going back and saying, "Well, they're not that bad." It's like he should have he should have done you guys better. I mean, by all accounts, the shooting for those films was atrocious. Uh, the actors were complaining they didn't have other actors to kind of you know, choreograph with and have dialogue with, and everything was going to be fixed in post. And it just I I think the fans cared more about those movies than he did and it shows and how they turned out and you're 100 right i mean now people are looking back on those movies and saying just give me the original i don't want the director stuff anymore just give me the originals well let's take a moment to shit on lucas and you know <laughs> the amazingness that he gave us which is star wars so first of all lucas is an amazing writer i think he's actually a horrible director uh proven by the fact he didn't actually direct empire and he co-wrote Empire. Um, now, when it comes to the re-releases of the original trilogy, I've heard a rumor, and I'm not sure it's true, but uh, his ex-wife was an editor on the original trilogy. She kind of kept him in check from everything I've heard. And they got divorced. And because she was an editor, Lucasfilms had to keep paying her royalties on Ooh. the film. So apparently, he re-edited them so that he could remove her editor credit and he could be the editor so he wouldn't have to pay her royalties anymore for the original trilogy. That's gross. That's apparently the rumored reason for it. That's gross. I mean, again, that's him shitting on the fans to get his own you know, personal agenda out there. I think it's evident that he's a bad director by Howard the Duck. That, that's where it's evident he's a bad director. I mean, he, he's an amazing writer. He's an, an idea man, but he is just not a great director <laughs> he just isn't and while we're still on the topic of star wars let's let's talk about what i think might controversially be the worst star wars movie i know a lot of people would ta- say attack of the clones the rise of skywalker might be the worst star wars movie in wow hot take on that one yeah i don't have a high take on the rise of skywalker and there's a lot of issues with the movie from the fact we don't learn about pelps in the movie until like fifth like we learn about them but you actually had to play Fortnite to listen to his podcast where he said that he was going to do this attack um <laughs> also he says the attack's going to take 12 hours but we've already established in canon lore that hyperspace travel actually takes time it just is quicker than regular travel and there's no way he could attack all the galaxies planets launching from the outer outer rim into the core worlds in 12 hours it just it doesn't work um it's just to me a bad movie 
And apparently there's a ton that got scrapped from that movie too that I don't know if it would have saved it, but I would have liked to see what J.J.'s original cut was of that movie. Yeah, I mean, my my issue is my issue with that movie goes back to the the first one um the force awakens the rise of skywalker the um i don't even remember the title of the other one the last jedi the last jedi thank you i i think that if the graphics in those movies are amazing the graphics are amazing they're beautiful movies and a lot of the character development i enjoy i won't say it's amazing but i enjoy it my issue is they are three standalone movies you that are g- meshed together. Absolutely. Give me, you have, you had time. You had time to create a three movie story arc that would lead to the reveal of Palpatine being a, a gasping, you know, crazy moment, you know, and instead it looks like you threw him in at the end for fanfare, just, just to sell tickets. And I, I think that you could have made a more cohesive storyline and i actually just read a uh a, a something online i forgot where i saw it i think maybe it was tiktok or something somebody sent it to me um where at the end spoilers at the end of rise of skywalker if ray would have just stayed dead and you have um uh what's his name darth kylo. vader's kylo thank you but you have kylo you know, now be the rise of Skywalker, seeing as he has Skywalker blood, have him be the good guy. And now at this point, you can make more movies about him reestablishing the Jedi and, and you know, going against his own big bad foes and stuff like that. But instead you have, you have another, I, I just, so, I've I, it's, there's so much that aggravates me about those movies that I could go on for hours. I could do a whole thing on this. First of all, I I would have hated that because the whole holy bloodline of the Skywalkers, I think, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, Up until this point, there's never been a holy bloodline. And now suddenly there's a holy bloodline. Um, I'm actually I found a version of Kevin Trevorrow's uh, Duel of the Fates, which I want to read because apparently he doesn't bring back Pelps. Uh, Kylo is the villain of the movie. I think... um, JJ's not an original storyteller anymore. Um, when you look at those three movies, uh, you know, The Force Awakens is a retelling of A New Hope. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker is a retelling of Return of the Jedi. And The Last Jedi is the only original story in those three movies. Yes, it's rough in some points, but. By that, it makes it the best of the three movies because it's the only one that's not a retelling of another story. Um, and The Rise of Skywalker also has no character development. It has fetch missions like a video game to get us to a point that we knew was going to happen. Right. Uh, you know, I, I was saying that I was super disappointed when all the Force ghosts are talking to her, that they're not actual Force ghosts. And I would have loved it if Pelps could have seen them and like as he's shooting lightning at ray he looks at anakin and is like you have failed my boy for the last time <laughs> and like literally is looking at anakin and acknowledging that he failed as vader um so yeah that's one i would like to see a director's cut and one final one while we're on star wars which isn't technically a director's cut but apparently topher grace has recut episode one, two, and three into a single three hour and 15 minute movie or something like that, that apparently tells a very cohesive story because he cuts out all the extra junk pretty much from episode one and two and three, I think is what most of it comes from. I would love to get to see that version. Yeah, that that sounds good. Um, I think any, anything you can do to save those, you know, those first three episodes, it would be drastically welcomed. Um, I, I don't know. My my other big thing about about Star Wars, uh, both the most recent three and episodes one, two, and three, is I'm a big stickler on movies establishing rules. I think 
it helps the audience understand the world that you're building. It helps them understand the characters and the character development and what's possible to come. What are the roadblocks up ahead, you know, based on the rules you've established. And I think the reason why I've never gotten as into Star Wars as I should, based on somebody who loves fantasy and loves, you know, that type of stuff is this whole genre or the whole um, nine movies works on establishing rules and then immediately telling you those rules don't matter or contradicting those rules. And I just, I can't, I can't get into something that discredits itself so deeply. Yeah. I am a huge star Wars fan who thinks the non movie content is probably the best thing within the star Wars universe. I've the heard books, that. I've heard a bunch comics, of, the yeah. Shows, they establish lore and, tend to keep to the lore pretty well that's established. I mean, there's definitely some breaks, but it's not as bad as, like, Lucas not fully planning out the movies. So him telling him that Vader killed Luke's father and then being, well, from a certain point of view, (laughs) or the fact, like, there is another, and Obi-Wan should have known that because he was there when Leia and Luke were born. Uh, A lot of that had to do with, like, Lucas was bad at shoehorning in his plot points (laughs) into the original trip or into the uh, prequel trilogy. So, but yeah, it's rough on that. But with that being said, I mean, I know Star Wars has some hardcore fans out there. And like you said, I've heard a lot of good things about the novels, uh, specifically the Thrawn novels, which I also plan on going back and reading. Um, And I think that hopefully... Disney seems to to be kind of getting the line back straight with with the Mandalorian, and I'm excited about the Obi Wan um, TV show coming out. I would recommend. So there's now um, seven Thrawn books. Three of them are legends, but the four that are canon are actually really good. I enjoyed all four of them, and they got the guy who originally created Thrawn in the '90s to come back and rewrite his new canon story. So oh, nice. Those are really good. Um, you got any other director's cuts? Oh, absolutely. Me? So um, the the two big ones I have on my list, uh, the first one is Tony Kaye's cut of American History X. And American History X, notoriously great movie. Um, it's got a huge following. Uh, Tony Kaye's the director on that. Now, he has not really done anything both before and after this movie that is worth noting. Um, a couple short movies, a couple TV shows, a couple documentaries, but this is basically his go-to movie, the movie he's most known for. Now, he has some issues uh, both with the um, studio and with lead actor Edward Norton on the film and gets essentially told by New Line that he needs to redo his movie after he's done. So he swallows his pride and he does that and he does a new cut that he presents to the studio who again says not happy with it so now we have two movies that he's done for american history x finally the studio brings in a new editor and hand in hand with edward norton they re-edit the movie and that's what we get in theaters now this is a unique one because the studio's film doesn't bomb it does amazingly well um a lot of people are saying that Edward Norton was much more uh, has much more screen time in the final cut than either one of the uh, director's cuts. And obviously, you know, this is one of those films we never got a director's cut of, but based on how good the movie is at the end, I would have loved to see his two versions, um, which by all accounts from the few people who worked with him on it are far more gritty and, dark than the version we get and if you've seen american history x the version we get is pretty gritty and dark so um i would just be really interested in seeing that yeah uh especially if it's grittier and darker yeah right and then the next one i got on my list uh david fincher who we all know and love phenomenal director um, let me pull up his credits just to name a few. Obviously, he's done seven. He did Zodiac, Gone Girl. Um, he's done, oh man, so many other Panic Room, Fight Club. Um, he also did a little movie called Alien 3. This is way back early on in his career. Um, he 
does the movie, he has, again, one of those situations where it was much longer than anticipated. Uh, the studio asked him to cut it down. He ends up taking off about 35 minutes of footage, which they said kind of changed the the way the movie was was outlined. Um, and it gives us the version we have now. But I would have loved to have seen David Fincher, especially the the, act, the director he goes on to become and such a phenomenal uh, man of his craft. I would have loved to have seen uh, his version. He has long refused to comment on uh, Alien 3 and refuses to do any sort of um, director's cuts of the movie. Uh, I think based on you know what happened with his experience with the studio, um, but it would I would love to have seen the, the both uh, Fox and David Fincher kind of make up and give us his version of the movie. Well, you know, it's with Disney now, so uh, it's not going to happen because Disney doesn't <laughs> do director's cuts. Have you? Did you hear that they're going to do an Alien TV series? On FX, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little worrying that it's going to be on FX only because I know FX does push the limits because uh, I recently watched uh, Dave, Little Dickie's show. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I also worry... With the right director, I think it can be done right. But with also having it be TV MA over R, I worry, you know, what are we going to lose out on with that? Is there going to be certain graphics that we might not be able to get because they might be considered too bloody or gory for TV MA? That's true. And I think, you know, notoriously, so when it comes to Alien, you have their blood, which is acidic. They That doesn't count against graphic content because it's not red. Um, so that, that they can show as much as they want of, I think you can give me the, the, you know, the insinuation, give me the screen, off, the scream off camera or, or, you know, the, the noise off camera without actually seeing the blood and gore. What I'm most concerned about, and I don't really know why I'm concerned about this, but when looking at alien versus predator, um, rec- requiem and how that was kind of turned into a horror movie taking place in a neighborhood, I'm concerned that where this is going to take place. I don't want to see it take place on earth. I want to see it take place in space and there's no reason why it shouldn't take place in space. I have no reason to think that they wouldn't have the movie, the show take place in space, but something just makes me nervous about that. This may be a little controversial, but I would like to have some more of that Prometheus mystery in it too. Um, I really liked the turn that gave to the alien world. It it was interesting as far as the architect standpoint. That's exactly what. It yeah, was. that's what I thought. That that part of the story I liked a lot, and I, I agree with you. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see him explore that a little bit more. As far as the other versions of Alien, that that struck me as like a Tremors thing. You know, you got Tremors, the first movie with Kevin Bacon, amazing. These sandworms. And then I don't know if you know this, but they have six other movies in the Tremors franchise. Each one, the worm converts to a creature on land and then converts to a creature in the air. And you have all these different versions of their original you know, creature. And when I saw the, um, you know, the Prometheus stuff, I liked the architect standpoint, but then you got these other versions of the alien creature. It kind of led me to like, why are they changing the creature when the creature is what we like? That's that's yeah. what we're coming to see. No, it was more the architect stuff that I would love to see more of. Yeah, for sure. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, as much as we've been shitting on Disney, they are our overlords <laughs> and control like 90% of our daily intake of content now. Um, for me, it's probably like 99% because I think all we watch is Disney shows in my house at this point with a four and a half year old. <laughs> Uh, Sophia the First, uh, Bluey, uh, Tangled the TV series, which is surprisingly a really good TV series <laughs> with an amazing plot line. It's like a D&D campaign taking place within the Tangled universe, and it's three seasons long. And it's, it's amazing. A, an entire story, and it ends at season three, and they're done with it. So. Speaking of d and I'm pretty excited about this upcoming movie that they have greenlit. The, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I hope they do it right. Give us a Lord of the Rings esque type D and D movie. They've tried it um, before. <laughs> it didn't did, didn't turn out great. But I think the, the issue is everybody's got to put their own spin on stuff. Stop putting your own spin on it. Just give us what we want. 
Give us, give us the campaign and the dragons and the gold and the side yeah, quests. And... Someone write a campaign and then shoot it. That's uh, it. Joe Magniella. Just Absolutely. cast Joe Magniella as his Dungeons and Dragons character. Uh, I mean, that is actually going back to the Snyder Cut. The most exciting thing about it is his Deathstroke is returning. Yeah. And I heard that he's pushing to get a standalone movie with him and Ben Affleck. Please. That'd be cool. Please give me that movie. I've also long since rallied behind the idea of give us, you know, maybe not set in that era, but give us Gotham by Gaslight. You know, give give me Batman is the world's greatest detective. Give us a detective movie. Like have him solving a crime for Christ's sake. I'm excited about the Robert Pattinson one because if it's truly uh Court of Owls, I think it's gonna be amazing. I'm 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 open. I'm open to it. I'm not gonna say I'm excited about it, but I'm not writing it off either. You know, I learned my lesson when they announced the Joker, and I said this movie is gonna be garbage. I am gonna hate this, and then I watched it, and I was both equally uh, enthralled and disturbed by that movie. I think it's one of the greatest movies of all time that I will never watch again. <laughs> Court of Owls is gonna be a, such a good mystery movie, though, if they stick to the comic book plot really well because it is a a mystery for me it's not so much the content they're using it's it's you know the burn me once you know warner brothers just is not doing a great job with this universe so while i'm appreciating the content i'm hesitant to be excited about it until i actually hear something good yeah so i have one last director's cut to talk about it's a little movie called Knights of Badassdom. Do you remember this movie? It sounds really familiar. Um, I'm sure it'll ring a bell the more you talk about it. So it's uh, it stars the guy who played Jason in True Blood, so Sookie's brother, and Peter Dinklage, and um, Summer Glau as a character. Um, and it's these characters that for some reason they go to a renaissance fest or not a renaissance festival a larping festival and they're larping as medieval characters and a demon literally gets released and attacks the festival and it's a a comedy horror movie type thing and it's not good (laughs) perfect I I was really excited for it and I rented it and I was like, I mean, I'll never watch this again. I don't think I wasted my time watching it, but it wasn't good. But Joe Lynch, the director, has explicitly said that is not his cut of the movie. Uh, Whatever the the studio ripped it apart. And Kurt Russell has seen the original cut of the movie. I don't know how. I don't know if him and Joe Lynch are friends or whatever. And he said that that cut, the original cut, is better than Ghostbusters. Wow. So I got to see this movie. Yeah. I, this is the this is like the director's cut that I want to see released. I want to see this version of Knights of Badestum that is better than Ghostbusters. That is that is a very high bar to set, and I'm curious as to how Kurt Russell saw this movie. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you if you have a movie in your closet that you can't release because of contract issues, I mean, you show it to Kurt Russell. That's what you do, right? That's just yeah. But I'm like, how has this man seen this movie and went? This is better than Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, it's not a great movie as it is, but I want to see the cut that Kurt Russell has said is better than Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he wasn't talking about the uh, the Ghostbusters remake. No, because there's a lot of things better than that for the Ghostbusters remake. That's this is this is a prime example of one of those movies that you know the concept, the storyline sounds awesome, and it just it sounds like the execution just didn't happen. Or again, maybe the studio got in and started meddling with it, thinking they know what the fans want, and ended up shitting all over the project. Oh yeah, uh, this 
movie apparently is just totally uh, destroyed. And he, uh, Joe Lynch used to have a podcast, and he talked about um, it and said, like, the studio just came in and ripped it apart. And he's like, I would love to release a director's cut, but he goes, I don't even know if the content still exists to ever release the director's cut. Um, because apparently the studio went under that released it. It was one of those really minor studios. So they might've just like thrown out everything. Um, but yeah. That's crazy. Know. So, and it, I mean, he says when he made the movie, he was making the Goonies for grownups and the final product, he said the final product ended up being role models, but with a little bit of blood and they couldn't cut out what they were stuck with. Oh. So, yeah, and, and Mitch just goes back to what we were originally saying. It's it's so sad to see a director, you know, pour their heart and soul into something. I mean, a lot of these directors really adopt these projects with full intentions of giving the fans what they want, or giving the fans at least what they think that the fans want. And by all accounts that I've read, studio execs come in and they care more about the bottom line oh, than they yeah. do, you know, pleasing the fans. And what what kills me about that is I think a lot of them don't understand that. Some of these movies that will go on to gross, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, do it by word of mouth. Because if you if you please the fans, they will reward you by seeing the movie multiple times and giving you their their two cents. But uh, well, it's, it's tough. It's part of the reason that I'm starting to like some of those independent studios um, more. Like um, A24 is, I think, a big one of them now. Mm -hmm. And uh, whoever has released... Uh, the content for The Witch and The Lighthouse, uh, which is the same director, but whoever he worked with, I think they didn't interrupt with him very much. And he actually has another period piece coming out that is apparently a Viking horror story uh, Ooh. that I'm super excited for. Yeah, I can uh, get behind some Viking stuff. So do you have any other director's cuts that... Uh, you um, want to see release. Yeah, I mean, I got a few, uh, I got two more minor ones here. Um, I would love to see uh, Terrence Malick's uh, The Thin Red Line version. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't know if that would be a better version. Probably not. The Thin, Thin Red Line's a pretty good movie. It came out in 98. Um, by all accounts, the editing of that film was horrific. Uh, it involved many, many, many months, uh, many different people getting involved. Um, some of the people that watched Terrence Malick edit the movie said that he did it without volume while listening to Green Day. Um, you had people that were showing up to the premiere of the movie thinking that they were major roles in the film that were ended up you know, getting cut down to a few lines and only like two minutes of screen time. Um, so the movie that we got, I think, is is pretty good. And I have no reason to think that his version would be any better. In fact, it's probably going to be way, way worse. But I would just be interested in seeing the version that at least the actors thought they were going to be participating in, excuse me. Um, and then the other one I have on here, which is kind of a weird one, is uh, George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road. Um, now, he the movie that we got is his. That's, he released the movie. There was no real studio influence on it. Um, he notoriously releases independent movies and, and sells them to distributors versus working with a studio to do it. He got burned a while back, um, which is why he does it like that. However, from what I've read about this, you know, six time Oscar, win Oscar winning movie, um, it was considerably longer during one of his first edits, um, almost an additional hour, uh, which was not released on any of the bonus features. So while I do think we got his version in the end, I think the version that we got was amazing. Um, it, it's a rock opera, if you will, but I would have liked to have seen a longer version. I think that there's more to that story that could have been told and, and maybe we'll get it in the subsequent movies of, of Furio Furioso. So we'll, we'll see. There was a, a tweet the other day about the sequel that came out that's coming out for that, that uh, the, the comma was poorly placed in it. So it was like Mad Max Fury Road, the musical or something. <laughs> Because, like, it was then talking about a musical that was going to get released. And people are like, did anyone else read this as the next movie's a musical? I mean, hey, that would I, I'd watch it. 
George Miller has made a complete franchise out of Mad Max, and he's done it on his own independently. And and what you get is what he wants you to see. I think those movies have been amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I there's a lot around studios with that. I know that, uh, oh man, Kevin Smith's projects that have fallen through just recently. Like there was supposed to be a Clerks three, but uh, Randall wouldn't come back because he never got paid for two. And then Oof. he was supposed to do Mallrats two. Uh, then he was doing something else, and he's like, it's all this issues he's having around. Um, who owns those movies miramax or Mm -hmm. you know the weinsteins owning those movies and pay issues and all this stuff it sucks i was looking forward to mall rats too mall rats is one of my childhood movies i loved that movie that movie got me through high school i mean we can get mall rats to the COVID edition where it's just a shuttered down mall that uh, (laughs) nothing happens in for an hour and a half tumbleweed goes by the screen (laughs) uh yeah so that really covers my director's cuts. You said you had two minor ones. Do you have another big one or is that it? No, that's it. That's all I got. All right. Uh, so the only other thing I wanted to cover was the opposite of a director's cut. When a director so badly doesn't want his name to the movie. Have you ever heard of Alan Smithy? No. Oh, this. I don't think they're allowed to do this anymore. But this was a name that is attached to tons of projects where if a director no longer wanted to be related to the movie, they changed the director to Alan Smithy, this fake person. Uh, They stopped the practice in 2000, but it started in 1968. So for many years, uh, directors would pull their names from the film to be replaced by Alan Smithy. And I think something he has like 200 credits to his name jesus i want to say uh let's see filmography 114 movie credits to his name wow and some none of these movies sound good at all the birds 2 yeah national lampoon's senior trip hellraiser bloodline Wow. A movie trilogy that the original uh, director just finally got rights back to. So. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, it says here that uh, before 1968, DGA rules did not permit directors to be credited under a pseudonym. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's a fun one. I got to find out now where the name came from then. I mean, it's Alan Smitty. It's a weird name. Just pull out of nowhere. There's a Wikipedia page dedicated to it, so sure you could find it. But uh, yeah, on his uh, on the IMDb page for some of the movies, they have who the real director was, and uh, his uh, his movie ratings are not very <laughs> not very high at all. Uh, but yeah, that was a fun one. So. Um, So I actually have a second topic that I bring onto the podcast. It's much shorter, but we're going to take a brief intermission for our pluggables. So do you got anything to plug? Oh, I do. I appreciate the uh, the time. So uh, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but my season two of the Gutsy Media podcast is launching January 7th uh, with new episodes every other Thursday. So check that out. I'm going to have some giveaways this season. Um, chances to enter and you can also follow me on twitter instagram facebook and my new social media which is letterbox what is letterbox letterbox is a service where you can set up a profile and then you go on there and you can you know connect with friends and you select the movies that you've watched you can rate them you can see whether or not you like them or dislike them and you can suggest movies to other people and people can suggest movies to you so I felt it only appropriate having a movie podcast to be on there. Ah, okay. Well, my main pluggable at this point is going to be uh, I got another article that I just submitted today to don'tforgetatowel.com. So uh, check out that website for my 2020 reading listicle. I had set up to read 20 books in 2020, then COVID hit, and I hit 32 books by the end of the year. Nice. So, I did a brief write-up of each book, and then a couple of the books actually have my full book 
uh, views that I wrote for that website. So is it, it is, is it a spoiler to ask you what your favorite one was? Ooh, what my favorite one was. Um, in the realm of fiction, it was probably the Star Wars legend book, Del- uh, Darth Plagueis, was probably my favorite there. In the realm of nonfiction, um, it was probably Colin Woodard's uh, American Nations, the 11, or yeah, American Nations, the 11 Cultural Societies of America, or something like that. That he does a deep dive into how the, the United States of America, and he does bring in Mexico and Canada, is one giant country where 11 different cultural regions and sometimes they span into canada or down into mexico as well nice so um so for topic two i bring a conspiracy theory or philosophical concept uh seeing that we're talking hollywood and movies i thought the conspiracy theory of marilyn monroe's death would be a fun one uh so do you know any of the conspiracies around her death um, the only one I know about is that, that didn't Ken Kennedy had her killed yes, because so that, of their affair. Yes. So Marilyn apparently committed suicide. Um, and she was famous at the time. So there's been a ton of conspiracies around her actual death. So the first one's the, the Kennedy affairs. Uh, so apparently she's had a, an affair with both Robert and John F. Kennedy and, uh, Robert actually had her killed because she actually fell in love with him and was going to go public about their affair, which would have ruined his career. So he hired a hitman to have her killed, which is great that, you know, that's what happened 60 years ago. Nowadays, presidents have affairs and they almost get a second term. And Robert wasn't (laughs) even the president. He was the AG at the time. Like, yeah, that's great. Now presidents have affairs with porn stars instead of movie stars. My times have changed. Uh, uh, the other uh, big one was it was a mob hit uh, that she owed money to the mafia, probably for her drug purchases, and she got back due on the bills, and they iced her. Hmm. So I could see that, that happening. That's another conspiracy theory. You know, another fun one. Uh, final one is... That it wasn't a suicide, it was an accidental drug overdose, but for her doctors to protect themselves from the fact that they gave her drugs that don't uh, work with each other, they staged it as a suicide after she died. This is the this is the most realistic one for me right oh, there. Oh yeah, this is the most realistic, especially in the 1960s, you know, a doctor gives you the wrong mix of drugs, especially if you're seeing two doctors and they don't know dr a's giving you this and you die they find out and they're like oh shit we just killed marilyn monroe (laughs) write a suicide note make it look intentional i actually just watched uh a movie with her in it for the first time ever i don't think i've ever seen any of her movies and uh for the upcoming season two we watched uh, asphalt jungle which is one of her earliest movies she's actually not even like when the original um promotional items came out for the movie she wasn't even in in the promotional items because she was such an unnamed actress nowadays you look up that movie and she's above the title you know it's, it's a Marilyn Monroe movie uh, despite the fact she's only in it for probably about seven minutes total screen time but it's Marilyn Monroe but it's Marilyn Monroe you know the, the accidental drug overdose one reminded me a lot of the circumstances around Michael Jackson's death right because I was saying the same thing got charged for giving him the wrong drugs or something like that but Jackson's was never staged as a suicide. It was an overdose the entire time. So. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a fun, brief little conspiracy to talk about. Uh, you know, in today's world, conspiracies are everywhere. And I feel like the 1960s is when they really started to form. Between that, Kennedy's death, which I've covered before. Uh, so do you believe any of them? Are any of these Marilyn Monroe ones? And do you, do you think any of these are real? The Kennedy affair one, I don't believe. It's not that I don't believe she had an affair with the Kennedys. It's that they had her killed. Um, The mob hit one, especially in the time frame, I feel like it's a possibility. 
that the mob had her killed. I mean, it was the height of the mob. It really was. But just like you, the most likely one is the doctors fucked up and then staged it as a suicide to Mm -hmm. cover the tracks. Yeah, I could see that. Especially, you know, it's just some actress. I mean, not some actress, but it's Marilyn Rowe. She's famous. This is going to be all over the news. But we got to cover our own ass. Um, I agree with you. I think most most likely is the doctors. Second most likely is probably the mob. But even even the mob one I put is you know way far down the list. Um, then yeah. I mean, I would almost believe actual suicide over the mob. Yeah, it's possible. I though killing one of the most famous stars at that time would have been hard. And apparently, you know, a lot of the things is the lack of understanding around depression and stuff I feel was part of that because there's interviews that are like, no, I talked to her just two days before and she was so happy. She wouldn't commit suicide. And I feel like that was also a lot of like that time and their understanding around depression and how people are. It's likely she did commit suicide that yeah, she was surrounded by fame and it did not make her happy. Yeah. Plus, I mean, Hollywood during those times was very drug heavy. Not that they're not now, but I mean, far more so then because drugs weren't as frowned upon back then as they are now. So not only were they doing it, but they could do it out in the open and they could go to the nightclubs and they could, you know, drink heavily and still be famous. Whereas nowadays, I feel like most Hollywood actors who have prominent drug and alcohol problems tend to be kind of pushed out of the limelight uh, pretty quickly unless they can hide it very well. Yeah, or it becomes a very public thing like uh, John Mulhaney going back to rehab right. uh, this past week. Or um, I'm a big fan of Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. And uh, just in September, he had to talk about the fact he relapsed. Um, I think, yeah, there's there's a better understanding around drugs. So there was a lot more legal back then. There's a lot more illegal now. Um, but there was also a better understanding now that addiction is a an actual disorder. You know, like, it's not just you being like, I like to do coke. It's, you know, <laughs> Dax has said, you know, when he did his episode where he confessed to relapsing, he uh, relapsed on opioid point painkillers. But he said, he's like, I, like, didn't drink or do coke then because he's like, if I started either of those up again, who knew how long it would take for me to get clean again after that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, she probably killed herself, but it's interesting <laughs> to think, you know, the mob hit even involves Jimmy Hoffa who disappeared, potentially creating a whole nother conspiracy around Hoffa too. Well, I look I forward I, to future episodes of that and hearing, hearing what you have to say I've about heard that. Those ones combined too, that, you know, Hoffa was killed to hide. He wanted to go public about the fact that they killed Monroe. So he was killed to keep... It gets pretty crazy. Uh, (laughs) There is a thing out there that was released this year that's called the uh, Conspiracy Pyramid. And it's like an upside-down pyramid. And it's got six levels. And the first is like true conspiracies. And like in there they have... uh, Oh, when the CIA was dosing people with acid it's a true conspiracy then it's got like harmless but not true and it's got like bigfoot and stuff and then it crosses something that's called the anti-semitic line <laughs> and then it goes into like uh anti-vaxxers uh QAnon, the holocaust was a uh, wasn't real yeah like, yeah that that's the part where you don't want to be in conspiracy <laughs> and that's the part i try to avoid when talking about conspiracies because i'm like no, I, I don't identify with those conspiracies, but there's other ones that are fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly the fun ones. We'll yeah. talk about the fun ones. The fun ones. <laughs> All right. So thank you for hopping on to talk about movies with me. Oh, thank you, man. I had a great time. Topic. Um, I always end on a quote and talking about Marilyn Monroe and Hollywood. I found this fun one. Uh, Hollywood is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. And that was something that Marilyn Monroe said. And I think with movies, they'll pay you $1,000 for your script, but 50 cents for your version of the movie. <laughs> well said. Well, 
thank you for joining me. I hope you have a good limited rest of the year and then new year 2021. Let's start fresh. Here, here I come, baby. <laughs> Peace.